Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I hope everyone had an awesome, gluttonous Thanksgiving, but we're back now to continue our, our all-decade series. Got some news coming up at the end, but nothing too sexy there. So I think we'll start with a little bit more of a hodgepodge, Some taking some of the NBA season-long awards and awarding them for this decade. And I think a fun place to start here is maybe the one category where executive of the decade actually means more than executive of the year because these executives are supposed to have a really long time horizon. So who are some of the candidates that you want to throw out there for executive of the year? Well, first of all, let me mention that just like when we did the player performances pod iPod before, I got completely consumed by this, both the executive and not executive in particular. Oh, and yeah. part, part of the reason why is because you a you know that you forget things so you want to go through everything and then you get sidetracked into all these other things and also because especially with those you don't want to rely on things like record or anything like that because a lot of times it's evaluating it based on its own merits rather what rather than on the results so there are various people where you know uh, I, I think this comes up when i'm when we'll talk about danny ainge where it's like he came into it with the best intentions and parts of it didn't work out like the gordon hayward injury and everything like that and whether that falls on the general manager or not executive or not is is a fair question uh so i'll i'll throw out a few could you want do you want to do some honorable mentions first or because i think they might be in other people's conversation because I, I had a top four and then i had some people outside of the top four yeah sure go ahead okay so these are some outside of the top four that i think warrant praise daryl Morey. Morey, uh, i think the biggest argument for him is that he built a title contender without ever tanking and was a really good retooler i mean the hardened trade is the centerpiece which is a game changer within the nba and getting a getting an mvp caliber player who won an mvp for the price that he did pre prime is incredible and getting him on you know that extension which the thunder were reluctant to give harden and that became a gigantic bargain is a huge thing but then there are also other moves on the margins i don't want to go through those i'll save those for the top four uh rc buford well, well, so more let, let me react to sure. a little bit i think i might have him in my top four because if you look at where they were at the start of the year they got all in at the end of the previous decade to bring in yao ming who's the number one overall pick it gave him a maximum contract tracy mcgrady they traded for him he got a maximum contract and by the end of the 2009 season Yao essentially didn't play anymore after breaking his foot in that series against the Lakers and McGrady was basically done as well so like you said they didn't tank because they were just too good at finding stuff on the margins to build a decent team but if you look at where they were basically you would have thought starting with the 09-10 season no McGrady no Yao 
Yao, these guys are just going to have to go through a total rebuild and they're going to have to tank for like three or four years. And then maybe just by the end of this decade, they might be coming back into being a contender again. And for them to start off where they were at the end of that 2009 season and have the third best winning percentage of the decade, 61% of their games, they won. Never. I don't think they ever had a losing season or if they did, it was very close to 500. That's really incredible. I, I think that when you look at where they started, you could make an argument that that this run of success with a number of different cores, or at least guys around James Harden, might be the most impressive. Now, they didn't win a championship. It's hard to have it really that high, but just talking about where they were at the start of this decade and what they put together is really remarkable. Well, and also remember, we're separating executive from management, and Maury did the later part of this with an added degree of difficulty of an owner that didn't want to pay the luxury tax. So that wasn't his control. You know, the team got sold and he stayed on in the position. So I don't fault Maury as much for that. You know, some of the some of the mistakes, you know, signing MCW, signing Carmelo Anthony, both those failed out, but they were able to, to rehab pretty quickly. I had Maury in my original top four, but he got supplanted by somebody else eventually, which I'll get into. The other two kind of honorable mentions, I think the reason some people might get frustrated that they're not in the top four is because they have sterling reputations, but it's the reason they're not is in part because their best moves happened before this decade, technically speaking, and that would be RC slash pop in, in San Antonio. Yes, the Kawhi acquisition happened and they obviously won a championship and everything like that, but Duncan, Manu, Tony, those were all pre-2010 and there were some, some draft mistakes. Trading Kawhi is a huge one. And then for Presti in Oklahoma City, all three of his big three had been drafted before this timer starts. So he doesn't get credit for any of those. Yeah, signing some of them and moves on the margins. But the best things that Presti did that reaped rewards throughout the decade did not occur within it. And thus, I did not give him credit for it in this context. The the Spurs, number one over this 10-year period, winning 69% of their games for an entire decade. That's Oh, they'll get plenty of praise in other parts of this podcast. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then OKC is number two, winning 64% of their games. Again, though, with much of that work having been done. And also, we have to say that the biggest transaction that Presti made this decade was one of the worst trades in NBA history that hard trade so um so I, I agree with you we could mention those uh you so is that everyone you had you want to give me just your your uh your top four sure um so I was surprised originally my number four was my number two and that's Pat Riley yeah and Riley immense credit for creating the juggernaut that was the the heatles i mean that all happened and in that case it broke so quickly it really did happen in this decade you know there was some that presaged it earlier on but lebron bosh wade that all happened in 2010 and another really big plus for riley that was considered at the time but this will come up in another category too is never dumping eric spolstra even after the rough the rough go of it in the very early going of the heatles era and not replacing him with himself or or somebody else, considering Spolster is one of the best coaches in the league and has been for this entire decade, I really did give him credit for that. Also, degree of difficulty within the Heatles years, you know, adding Battier, Ray Allen in in years that helped lead them to championships, and of course, yeah. building that together. And also, he gets special praise for building in an un- building depth in an unconventional way by using the G League and those low cost signings. Guys like Tyler Johnson, originally Hassan Whiteside, Josh Richardson was a late was a second round pick, Rodney Magruder, guys like they did a lot from that area, both during the Heat era, during the LeBron era, but also afterwards that really helped keep them relevant. And I think that's a great front office. 
Well, I would argue that they didn't do enough during the LeBron era. Agreed. Especially by 2014, things had really fallen off. Well, the, I think they did them. well with the MLE, but they didn't do well with the minimum. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. And their draft picks during that period uh, were pretty minimal. Mario Chalmers was drafted the previous uh, year, so he doesn't factor into this. Uh, he was drafted after that 08 run with Kansas. So, you know, they did find Chris Anderson off the stra- scrap heap. That was something that really helped them during uh, that 2013 season. Uh, but you know when you're starting like Rashard Lewis in the finals in 2014 you can't say they did that great of a job we probably would still be thinking of Riley differently though if Chris Bosh had just stayed healthy they're probably if he's healthy they're probably winning high 40s the rest of the decade and they had that huge championship peak so his argument might look a little bit better it's not his fault that Chris Bosh didn't stay healthy and I think this machine that they've built coming out of Sioux Falls lately to build that around Bosch, maybe if Bosch is healthy, they don't go all in on average, as John Hollinger put it in the summer of 2017, as well with James Johnson and Deion Waiters and Kelly Olynyk. Uh, they might have got a, a totally different direction there. So uh, that's a, some misfortune. Uh, but I, I'd say they've had enough kind of foibles that I, I can't put Riley quite at the top there. But certainly, I mean, to build that Heatles team deserves a ton of credit for that. I mean, that's the team that dominated the first four years of this decade. Yeah, and that also changed the way front offices work and approaching front office and approaching free agency. And also it changed the collective bargaining agreement, one of a couple of GMs that ended up doing that in a couple of different ways. And my number three was the person who wasn't on my list previously. And I think there is a very reasonable argument to have him as high as number one. And that's Masai Ujiri. Ujiri, his job in Denver, I think is is underappreciated. It was, a, it was kind of a weird one just because he was only there for three years. And I really liked, even though Iguodala ended up leaving, getting him at the, the cost, it wasn't that big. And something yeah, that Aaron, was... Aaron Aflalo and like a first, I think was the, yeah, it was, was the cost for that. Yeah, it was a Aflalo, Al Harrington, and a 2014 first round pick. And then the other thing that was so striking about Ujiri's profile is that basically the first move he made in both of his stops, because Denver and then Toronto, was an absolute heist of a trade. So in Denver, it was the Carmelo trade. And remember, Melo wanted to go to the Knicks anyway, but wanted to get his full his full wage. So that was a huge deal for them. And then the absolute first move, at least on basketball reference, that Ujiri's credited for as the Raptors GM was the Andrea Bargnani trade, which is another one of those worst trades of the decade, best for his side. Bargnani for Marcus Camby, Novak, Quinn. Richardson, a first and two second round picks. Bargnani was one of the worst contracts in the league and to get him as positive value and get off of his bad money was incredible and that helped set the table for some of what the Raptors did moving forward. And then of course the Kawhi trade, which is one of the most important of the decade as well because it swung a championship. Yeah, and the Rudy Gay trade also really worked well for them. Uh, Kyle Lowry was already on the team, but getting a good value extension for him setting up this organization that is just pumping out guys drafted 20 and later who are massive contributors it's fred van fleet great player in the finals last year just totally undrafted uh, brought him in yeah i agree with you he's up there i mean i think you might i'm interested to see who else you have above mori i mean i think he it's kind of tough to not have him in the top four to me um you know the Ujiri see, for, versus, for me it's yeah. hard to have mori over you jerry when you consider that, that he a, a did it in, in yeah. two places and also just I, the way that you Jerry was able to kind of create create full organizational 
stuff, you know, like with the yeah. Raptors, yeah. Siakam, and something else that I gave Ujiri credit for was the decision to dump Dwayne Casey for Nick Nurse. I mean, that was a big decision that kind of went alongside the Kawhi Leonard trade. But I, I, I don't think they win the championship, if, or at least they, it would be very different if they don't make that switch. Yeah, that's a good, I, I think maybe you're right there, especially you probably do have to give them credit for doing it in two separate places and never being bad either. Again, they, his first year in Toronto, they traded Rudy Gayaway, we're going to start tanking, and they won 48 games. Now, how much of that does he deserve credit for right away? I don't know, but, but he was able to audible and eventually build a championship group without ever being bad which was kind of his initial plan coming in he was able to audible and still get it done the one of the demerits for Masai, and this is a very strange one but it is fair to note because he it was known when he made the when he made the deals is that both Kawhi and Iguodala which were the big brightest stars he brought in at each of his locations were only on their teams for a very short period of time and I mean Kawhi it was one one and done and Andre Iguodala was one and done and in both cases I mean the Raptors you could say that it's not their fault and and they got everything they wanted out of that one year. I mean, they could that one year couldn't have gone any better. But, you know, if you're thinking about the arc of the franchise, it wasn't like he added James Harden like Maury did, who is continuing to transform and propel the franchise. And so it's a different thing. And I, 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 it's a small demerit, but it is a it is a noted one just because they only got one year out of each of those dudes. Yeah, but they didn't give up too much to get him. And it, exactly. It was obviously yeah. worth it. I, I mean, the deal was made even knowing if we only have him for a year or we only have him for a year. And, and certainly, especially in the case of Kawhi, you can't say that there's anything they could have done differently once they got it yeah and so it's a small one just because when you think about oh they traded for a finals mvp but it was only for one year so my number Um, my number two well here let's take a quick break here first uh been on the road down in la going to wizards clippers tonight after danny and i are done recording here and then i'll be driving back to the bay tomorrow and getting back to my helix sleep mattress been staying in hotels this weekend and it's just not the same because those beds are made for everyone and helix sleep is made for me they have a two minute sleep quiz it matches your body type and your sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you i first found out about them in 2015 after we tried another mattress company it did not work it was one size fits all i apparently am not part of all because uh, my wife and i both developed back pain so she found helix sleep and we've been massive conference them ever since i liked them so much that i actually reached out to their company twitter account way back in 2015 and said hey i love your product i have one already i'd love to do some ads for you and they've been a sponsor of dunked on for the last four years and you know if they've been on that long that's because our listeners really enjoy the product the way to get started with them helixsleep.com slash cap space easy remember slash cap space we talk about all the time here on the program take that two minute sleep quiz you can even get your mattress split down the middle for couples if you want it they have a 10 year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free they'll pick it up for you if you don't love it but you're going to love it because it's made for you they're offering up to 125 dollars off of all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash cap space that's up to 125 dollars off at helixsleep.com slash cap space don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us okay so we talked about daryl mori masai jiri rc buford pat riley who haven't we hit yet for you Danny Ainge. Ainge made one of the most remarkable trades of of this decade with the KG Pierce one. That was Garnett, Pierce, Jason Terry, and a 2017 first that actually became Kyle Kuzma for three first round picks and a pick swap. That pick swap that became, I mean, ugh, became the Mark the Markel Fultz Jason Tatum trade, which was another huge thing that he did in this yeah. decade. And 
that is an absolute heist that helps set the Celtics up. But then also remember that this is another one of those, like, how do you square the best of intentions, where they signed Al Horford as a free agent in 2016, still had enough flexibility to sign Gordon Hayward in 2017, then Hayward got hurt almost immediately, and they we didn't get to see it, kind of like the Chris Bosh thing. Kyrie, that was the big swing they made. There were lots of big swings that the Celtics didn't make after they built that war chest, and the Kyrie trade didn't work out as well as they hoped, but I, I think it was a totally reasonable move. I supported it at the time, and, you know, Kyrie, things things happened the way that they did. And also, he got Isaiah on the cheap. That was Marcus Thornton and a late first-round pick for IT, who became an MVP candidate a few years later. And then remember... Ainge didn't overpay for Isaiah, didn't commit early, didn't do that, ended up avoiding... Yeah, what I mean, there was Kobe. no way that he could have with the rules at the time. But. True. But, but you know, but they was willing to trade him in the Kyrie deal, which was, yeah. of course, the correct decision. And so I think all of those things... Also, hiring Brad Stevens, they remember they traded Doc Rivers and then, and then hired Stevens in his dead. Stevens has done an excellent job since he took over, so I think that was another good decision. And then for me, the negatives... Um, Ainge had that war chest and didn't pull the trigger on some of the big stars that ended up going for lower prices and maybe the Celtics could have won a title that way or or at least been really damn good and maybe they would have lost it maybe it would have been kind of like you Masai in Toronto where you you have that high and then you tail off a little bit and also some when you when you have the war chest that that Ainge did and just their other picks, and you make draft picks for an entire decade, some really notable misses. I mean, Olenek over Giannis is probably the most prominent to me, especially because Ainge traded up for that pick. You know, like they went from 16 to 13, could have gotten Giannis, but also like a bunch of misses in the late first. And a lot of GMs have this. It's not, that's not an exclusive. I mean, we talked about with Pat Riley, but uh, Juwan Johnson, Fab Mello, Sullinger, RJ Hunter, James Young, Yabusele, Zizic, and maybe we'll see with Romeo Langford. Like those are all picks in this decade that either already definitely didn't work out or might not work out. And, you know, even though they did well with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and a lot of those other picks, getting a couple of those right might have made a big difference. It's so tough here because of your criteria. If you wanted to say, hey, based on this guy's performance during this decade, who would you, and you could just plop this guy down on a random team at the start of the decade, and how do you want to win the most games? I probably would rank Ainge higher. I probably would rank Maury higher than maybe R.C. Buford. David Griffin is someone we'll talk about a little, I'll at least talk about a little bit. He's not up there at the top for me. Bob Myers is obviously going to be up here as well. But I think Ainge, Maury, Ujiri, those guys showed a little bit more versatility. And if I had to say, hey, who would you want running your team at the start of the decade? Any team, those guys might be higher to me than someone like Myers. But we're also basing it on what did you do and what actually happened ultimately. And so that's where it's hard for me to get behind Ainge because, yeah, they made, let's see, what was it, three conference finals? But really, we're never close to competing for a championship, in my opinion. Even that 2012 team was a four seed. They wouldn't even been in the conference finals if Derrick Rose doesn't get hurt. Well, and, and also remember that the the Ubuntu Celtics don't really count for this because they were already formed at the start of the decade. Right. Yeah, I, I agree there. So it certainly did an awesome job. Probably the guy that you would most want doing trades for you. Really just some fleecings uh, on some of these trades. But the ultimate result wasn't any championships. It wasn't even getting close to championships. And ultimately, you have to, at least to me, base it on what actually happened in the decade and and who provided the most value, even if you don't necessarily think they could do it again, (laughs) if that makes sense. Is this the lead into Bob Myers? (laughs) I, I think it is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so Myers is my number one because 
of what he actually did. And so to get people through through the timeline, he technically took over as general manager in April of 2012, but he was in the front office, had a major voice in 2011. That 11 year is very important because that's when they drafted Clay Thompson and when the front office made the Andrew Bogut Monte trade, which was very yeah. important for the first championship. And yeah, that, that trade was what, like February of 2012, something like yeah, that? Yeah, it was February 2012. 2012. So Myers was the rising GM, but didn't technically have the title yet. So I gave him partial credit right. for that. And I mean, that was very important. Then, so building to the original title, the other big stuff, drafting Draymond in the second round. They also drafted Harrison Barnes and Festazili, tanked to keep that pick. Um, used two first-round picks to clear the space to get Andre Guadalla, which was a very important part of that. And then the huge decision to fire Mark Jackson and hire Steve Kerr. That was that was essential for winning that first championship. Yeah, also the Steph Curry extension was, which, I mean, he was, t- 2012, he wasn't an all-star at that time. He was had just missed an entire season due to ankle stuff. That contract could have turned out very poorly. Remember, $11 million a year was a lot of money back then. You know, that was probably, yeah, maybe about $10 million or so less than the max over those uh, four years and that turned out to be maybe the greatest contract in NBA history and that enabled them to sign Kevin Durant they obviously worked through signing him worked the back channels uh, to get him uh, had him on the team uh, for three years uh, and Golden State third best record of the decade despite basically two years in the total wilderness at the start of it which were before Myers really had his chance to put any kind of imprint on the team and so I guess you probably have to go with him I mean the Warriors were the dominant team of this decade they were almost entirely homegrown and the one thing that you would point point to is there's not as much versatility they haven't really other than the Bogut trade that which was a good trade they haven't really made any big trades well and they never really added depth like through the draft or extended depth through free agency you know they got yeah. good players for the minimum but they didn't yeah. really letting their build. player development go to shit by the end of the decade which they're just now remedying uh in what is now the next decade in NBA terms uh was bad yeah but. and and so poor drafting I mean the one it's it's funny because I also know Myers resume the best not only because of my close covering of the Warriors but also writing a book on their history like I've been thinking about this a lot back when I wrote my book and so moving out of the go the pick that could have been Rudy Gobert to draft Nemanja Nedovic and like there's the the, there's a Jeremy Lin thing from years ago and a bunch of other like guys that they had like Kendrick Nunn who they could have kept and didn't those sorts of things but every GM has that oh I forgot oh no never mind that's in worst GMs and then I also just put in in, under the Barrett point I just wrote on Anderson Vergeau just just noting it um and and another thing and this does count against Myers because I I structured these ones more in terms of the actual 10 years was the 2019 offseason I mean I've been very critical of that i picked him for not executive of yeah. the year oh uh, yeah see I, I think that's that's uh that's got to be in the next okay decade, though. but even even with that for me he's still number one because they built this team in an, in an unconventional way and remember they were the they won the 70 the 73 and 9 team didn't have kem durant on it like that was a almost entirely homegrown team plus iguodala and sean livingston another great value signing and that you know and if that team had theoretically continued moving forward they would have been a championship contender depending on where kevin durant ended up and so i mean he only yeah. gets i mean they, they could have signed somebody else besides kevin durant that offseason with all that space too or yeah. rolled it over to or the they could have signed gordon hayward the next year yeah right yeah and so yeah it could have been could have been ridiculous and so and having that ability and yeah myers did 
benefit immensely from fortuitous timing. You know, signing Draymond, Clay, and Curry to those extensions before things skyrocketed, and then having them skyrocket in a year that a talent, that a supremely talented free agent is thinking about going somewhere else. Like he benefited from circumstance a lot. Uh, a couple other, yeah, you, you wanted to bring up David Griffin. Griffin was on my also considered list. Part of why he didn't get in for me was one of the best things that David Griffin did as a general manager was win the draft lottery twice. But you yeah. know, kudos. Well, well, he also just wasn't a GM for enough years. I mean, I think just right. because his they won a championship, I think he, he deserves mention. I wouldn't yeah. go much beyond. We don't I, need to talk. I'll, about I'll mention my that. briefly my other honorable mentions. So those weren't ones that I did the full breakout on, but that I looked through the resume and debated it. Uh, Hinky, another short term one, but I think I, he deserves praise for what he did in terms of setting the foundation for the Sixers. There were mistakes, absolutely, but the I, I think the idea is really taking hold, and I believe that he would have done a better job building out the Sixers than his successors would have. The successors did. Um, Lawrence Frank didn't GM long enough, but he's done a really good job with the Clippers. Dennis Lindsay and Donnie Nelson on the Jazz and Mavs, respectively. Good resumes. N- N- Lindsay didn't have the job at the beginning of the decade. Nelson did. But Nelson, it's so weird because you have these bookends. Another GM of a championship team. And then we'll see what happens with the, the Luka Porzingis teams moving forward. But the wilderness in the middle just wasn't enough to get him on onto this list. Yeah, I'm just looking at the... This is a total random aside here. But I'm just looking at the win lost records for the decade the cleveland cavaliers had lebron james on their team for five years in this decade and we're still under 500 that's unbelievable <laughs> well and, and and so i have one last honorable mention and it's it's a little bit weird but jerry west never had control of a front office during this decade but was also had a hand in and there will be arguments for the end to the end of time of how much of a hand in two huge teams being built. I mean, the Warriors, he was a huge voice in the room for them, but also this recent Clippers run, and we'll see what that becomes. But I wanted to mention him just because that is so unusual, where he is a highly credited voice in the room for those two successful offseasons, despite never having hiring and firing power. Okay, now we'll get to the part that you guys are all waiting for (laughs) right after this. When I was about 25, I was in law school. I still remember the photo that made me think, oh man, I'm starting to lose my hair kind of early for this. And so I did a little research and I realized that it's much easier to keep the hair that you already have than to regrow it once it's lost. And so I started taking finasteride at that time. But back in those days, I had to go to a doctor's office, get my prescription renewed, it was really a huge pain and I would end up going a few months before I'd renew my prescription sometimes. Now that is no longer required because Hims is just an incredibly easy way to treat your hair loss. They've got licensed physicians, FDA approved products to help treat hair loss. You just answer a few quick questions. A doctor will review your case and if they determine it's right for you, they can prescribe you medication that'll be shipped directly to your door. No doctor's visits, no waste of time, no waste of money. You can try HIMS today by starting out with a free online visit at forhims, F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash capspace, forhims.com slash capspace. Easy to remember because we talk about capspace all the time here on the program. Forhims.com slash capspace prescription products are subject to doctor approval and require an online consultation with a physician who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. See website for full details and safety information. Once again, that's forhims.com slash capspace. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Okay, so just so we have it here on our executives. Bob Myers was my number one. He, he was your number one as well? Correct. Who was your number two? My two was Ainge and my three 
was Masai Ujiri. And I I might actually, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to flip those two. You, Masai gets two. Ainge gets three. Yeah, I'll go with Masai number two as well. And I think I'll go with Daryl Morey as number three. But certainly uh, Ainge right in there as well. But for Houston to start off where they did compared to Boston starting off where they did and still win way more games than Boston. Well, not way more, but more. 61% versus 57%. And Houston had some better teams than Boston did. Houston got closer to a championship. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Not executive of the decade. Oh, there are some lustrous names. Well, and so the, the thing, I don't know if this, this stood out to you, was how many of these people that I didn't think were good at their jobs had their jobs a long time. Like this comes up with not coach of the coach of the decade. Like a lot of bad coaches only coach for a few years. Yeah. Most of these, like the ones that ended up really making the list, had their jobs for at least half a decade, for many of them for almost the whole thing. It's pretty remarkable. Some of my winners have been, yeah, about half a decade or so. But where do you want to start here? You just do a few uh, dishonorable mentions. Yeah, let's do a few dishonorable mentions. Um, somebody I thought was going to be higher on my list, but some of his worst moves happened in two thousand nine. Is Ernie Grunfeld? I am not yeah. a huge fan of Ernie Grunfeld, but the Rubio trade to me was the, the like when they traded the pick that became Ricky Rubio like a week before the draft. That was in 09, so it doesn't count. And, you know, he just broadly, I, I well, think... Well, no, 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 we, we would count that. Oh, I guess, I guess based on yeah, your rules, we would. The, that's the 09-10 season, right? Yeah, like it, I guess. That would have been part of the judging for executive of the year in 09-10, so we would actually count Okay, that. so then maybe he gets into it. I mean, keeping Randy Whitman on as long as he did, there are a bunch of, I mean, Grunfeld, but... I, yeah, I, 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 although, I mean, they were like... They actually had like some playoff. Games. Exactly. And that's why he was ended up in that in that part of it as, as well. Um, one that I didn't do as much digging on, I just kind of ran out of steam, was Mitch Kupchak. I didn't know how you were going to handle that. So um, I'm. Oh, it, yeah. That's actually that should be up there, I think. They had a rough, a rough go of it. Um, yeah, he, he's definitely in there for me. I, I mean, some of the things. Now, I thought he did a pretty good job assembling the this is going to be fun team. Steve Nash getting injured. Dwight not being the same guy. I mean, uh, Kobe eventually tearing his Achilles. I mean, that was out of his control. Um, you know, I thought, he, I remember it too, he negotiated the Chris Paul trade, but then couldn't actually get that across the finish line. That's another one that was pretty interesting. Maybe he should have been willing to throw some more stuff in. Uh, although, I'm not sure that that would have ultimately mattered. David Stern might have nixed that trade regardless. Uh, obviously, the summer of 2016 for him is probably the worst offseason that any executive had all in terms of free agent signings all decade. I mean, the Luol Deng and the Mozgov contracts that basically were complete wastes the moment they were signed. And that's just incredible to spend $40 million a year basically in, uh, in those type of contracts for four-year deals. So yeah, Kupchak has got to be on there for sure I, I had kind of forgotten about him because he and then not trading Kemba last year I mean, he was terrible he's been terrible in Charlotte too yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna move him up um ahead of yeah at, at least at least Dell Demps Dell Demps GM for the entire basically the entire decade in in New Orleans the best thing that happened while he was the GM was getting the number one pick in the year that Anthony Davis was the was the number one player but the the biggest flaw for Demps was short-sighted moves rushing the rebuild gave up a first for Oshik two for Drew Holiday never really allowed them to build the base yeah I, I will say the Holiday trade he was injured a lot early but with the player that he's been if he had just stayed healthy I mean what that trade ended up being Nerlens what Nerlens and then the year after that was the Alfred Payton Michael charge pick, I believe. Okay, um, but remember that the Pelicans would have been worse if they hadn't traded for Drew Holiday. They yeah, I suppose so. But it's 
Yeah, and, and the Chris Paul trade the first time around was okay, although that's not the one that he wanted to do. The one that he wanted to do would have been awful for them. Getting, uh, I forget who they're going to get, like Kevin Martin. Like it was it was really, what wouldn't have been. Actually, I think Dragic might have been in that trade. That actually wouldn't have been bad for them. He turned out to be pretty good. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't have him at the top here. Yeah, exactly. Think, like he's in the dishonorable yeah. mentions for me. Yeah, most of his moves, I think, were defensible in and of themselves. It was just the lack of an overall plan. And then I'll mention some of the other dishonorables for me just didn't have the job long enough. They, I would argue that they were worse at their job, but they just didn't have it for long enough to build up the resume of some of these other ones. David Kahn is probably the center of that list. Oh, I baby. Mean, to me, the worst he was the worst executive of the decade. He just didn't have the job for long enough to... To, to have that as a strength. Chris Grant in those those early post-LeBron years, I thought that that was another one. Our good friend Rock Divers, which is funny considering oh, Doc is... Doc Divers. is yeah. Yeah, Rock Divers. Oh, Div- man, you, you, you're... Uh, I, I had a few here, but I kind of was just... Oh, I have like I, 10 I more. About these. Oh, oh, yes. Um, yes, I can't wait. Uh, yeah, our, yeah, I mean, so so here, let's... Uh, we'll just do like... Let's do for some of these, we'll just do like two sentences. Sure. On, on why there's I mean, let's, let's start with Rock, David Kahn. Yeah. David Kahn deserves okay. talking. If we're talking worst exactly executives of the decade yeah the kevin love not giving him the five years to save it for ricky rubio we can start there uh drafting a guy that doesn't exist hire, I, <laughs> hiring kurt rambis as the coach uh the drafting of like 97 point guards in the same draft none of whom were the good ones although there is yeah johnny flynn and rubio back to back i mean now again uh, and then they also drafted Ty Lawson, but traded him. There was a talk. Oh, they drafted three point guards, but yeah, they traded one of them. It really was only two. But yeah, that that was definitely odd. I mean, who knows? Maybe Johnny Flynn would have been good if he hadn't had that that career altering hip issue. But I'm gonna say probably not. Um, anything else come to mind there? No, I think that Derek, Derek Williams, yeah. number two. You know, is one of the worst draft picks of the decade. Although it was a kind of a consensus one at the time, so hard, hard to shit on him too badly for that. Wes Johnson. Oh man. It's all coming back to me now, Dave. Yeah. Well, you want another <laughs> one that'll come back to you? Rob Hennigan. Ah, uh, yes. Good good old Hennigan's. Uh, now, now, of course, uh, Director of Insight and Foresight for for the uh, the OKC Thunder. Yeah, and yeah, Hennigan, that- Hennigan, who made the Serge Ibaka trade, which was uh, another one of those just, like, wonderfully poor decisions. I remember they dumped Victor Oladipo in that trade. That didn't turn out too well for the Orlando Magic. A lot of a lot of just, like, moving moving guys for way too little in Orlando. Yeah, ch- chasing the eighth seed and not even getting it. Like, do you know how easy it is to actually, like, if you're really going to throw future resources into the pot and chase the eighth seed? Like, how easy that actually should be to get the eighth seed and they couldn't even do that? And then I'll do a, a troika of New York and uh, of major market execs, Phil Jackson, Magic Johnson, Steve Mills. They just had all of the tools to, to work with. You know, this has been a very friendly CBA for major markets. And yeah, Magic got LeBron, but, you know, everything else. Yeah. That... Well, they actually, I mean, up until the 18-19 season, it actually looked like they were doing okay. They were doing it very lucky. But, you know, the D'Lo trade was good. Some of the guys they drafted were pretty good. Yeah, Kuzma, there it wasn't like... But then they built the only non-playoff team around LeBron James of the decade. Yeah, that was that was a little poor. Um, yeah, and then and then it. Phil and Mills. I mean, either one of them, if they had had the job longer, I think could have could have done it for the Knicks. And then you could also I, I, argue yeah. that the Knicks are an unwinnable situation, and so that that doesn't that doesn't help either well, of them. Well, so Mills, uh, you mentioned the Barniani trade. Remember that Mills has had these weird interstices where he's taken over, and I think he was the guy during the Barniani trade. Then Phil Jackson gets replaced.
replaced. It's Mills again, just enough time to get the Tim Hardaway Jr. offer sheet in there before uh, they bring in Scott Perry. And now, of course, Mills has still been technically in control since then uh, and has been a big part of... uh, Sadly, the 2019 offseason can't be part of this. Uh, But the Porzingis trade is part of it, and that's not looking too good now that they didn't get anyone in 2019 offseason. So that does kind of slide that in there. Well, and like stretching Noah unnecessarily because they thought they were going to need it and those sorts of things. Signing? I guess that was Phil Jackson. (laughs) That was Phil. Yeah. See, Uh, if you could just make it Nick's front office decider, that would probably be number one. Mills was still employed technically overseeing Phil Jackson during that time. I guess that's true. Um, Uh, I mean, we don't know how much power he had, but I mean, he's been there the whole decade. And oh, this decade sucked. I mean, if you had to put it on one person other than James Dolan, he's probably the guy. Yeah. Another one to mention, our good friend. I'll try to remember how Jason told us to do it. Thom Tobido um Thibodeau's yeah. <laughs> Thibodeau's alter ego another one of those like better coach than GM some really just devastating decisions running that team Oof. yeah although I like the Butler trade if they had actually drafted someone decent at 16 instead of Justin Patton better. yeah uh, and who actually was a, a decent fit and you know they did at least make the playoffs that year and they did get some stuff for Butler I mean ultimately you'd probably rather have Robert Covington than any of the players that they traded away Chris Dunn Markinen and Levine as at least as of right now so I I actually I, I can't put him in there for me I mean it, it was some good and some bad for sure but yeah it's also hard because he wasn't off. even the worst GM of his own team in that decade <laughs> not even close okay so yeah. let's get back to the real contenders um for me and this was one that I I I put in my initial research and then he he I started selling myself on him kind of like Masai Ujiri which is hilarious because he preceded Masai Ujiri and that's Brian Colangelo. Colangelo because remember oh, yeah. how the decade framing affects him because then it really does work as a proxy for the bad years in Toronto where he was kind of trying to scramble to keep his job and then everything that happened in Philly from the burner accounts yeah. to the some bad tr- like kind of t- eroding some of the gains that Sam Hinkie made and so he's the first of the like to me really destructive yeah. long longer term general managers and did it in two places which deserves extra praise yeah i mean we a few things we can throw in first he was the gm in toronto when chris bosh left then they were pretty bad for i did make the kyle lowry trade it deserves some credit there did draft demar Derozan. it deserves some credit for that uh but obviously it wasn't working out under him he also uh was I think the Bargnani extension was this decade. Yeah, it, it, I think it would have been. That would have been a, a 2009 offseason. Um, and then obviously, I mean, yeah, I mean, the work that he did in Philly, I can't quite put him at the top. But he's got to be top well, three and, of just, and especially the way that he got the job too. Yeah, and well, and, and I'll mention a couple of the, the of a couple of Philly things. Obviously, the Markel Fultz trade worked out worse than anybody anticipated. But I mean, they gave up a lot to move up. And- he, he talked shit about his own franchise center on Twitter, or his wife was. I mean, I think yeah. there's some evidence that at least some of those accounts were him, or that he, he was involved somehow. Yeah. And just- well, and I mean, I I can't believe I have to say his name again. Pachesnik's. Remember, they traded a first round pick to get him and he never played for the team. Kuzma, White, and Josh Hart were all taken in the next five picks. So they could the Sixers could have gotten somebody that could have actually helped them on a team friendly deal when they need that in the worst way. Dumped Jeremy Grant for Arison Ilyasova in a fake first, then dumped Ilyasova at the deadline, held on to Nerwin's Noel too long and then got nothing for him. That another fake yeah. fake pick transaction. And I, I also thought that a reason Colangelo is in this 
in the rarefied air is because he was surrounded by better GMs. So in Philly, Hinky did a better job than he did. And then in Toronto, Masai followed him and did a better job than he did. So I think that's, I don't, for me, that, that made it worse somehow. Was that like, okay, well, both of these, the teams were worse off for having him. But he's not in the real pantheon. The real pantheon to me is three. All right, let's hear him. Do you want all three first, and then we can argue about the yeah, order? Yeah, let's, let's do it, because I think I'm gonna, I, I'll have close to the top three. Garpax? Oh, what? No, no, no. Real- that, 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 they're not even on the list for me. Interesting. How, how, are, how, how are they, like, I mean, to, they drafted Jimmy Butler this decade. Yeah, they, I they mean, drafted Miritich, too. Up until 2014, I think they did a pretty good job. Well, yeah, job. but a lot of that was, this is the same same argument with um, with Ainge, that the early decade stuff was built in a prior decade. So for me, you know, Noah was drafted in a prior decade. Dang, Derek Rose, all those picks had already happened. Okay, but, but so, think about it this way. They hire, 2010, they won uh, uh, Executive of the Year, and probably should have been Pat Riley, but they did a great job. I mean, they took a team that in 2009-10 was 41-41 and 41 and made it a, built yeah. a team that would have been a contender for a while. I mean, I don't think they're even close to this category. But, but see, you I, think, I, for, for me, the, re- the reason that they're in there is is also just the, the amount of mistakes in terms of hiring coaches just small like, like think things like the decision to sign rondo and wade which that team that was just created that disastrous team the harris and nurkic for mcdermott trade like yeah i'd say yeah i think it's probably good they're below yeah i think that's that's a fair move yeah. but for me it was I, I mean they've been here all all, all decade and they won 53 percent of their games I, I think yeah they probably should have been fired by now but they had a pretty good run of it early on. Yeah, I guess I think part of the difference in opinion for us is the is the is what you give for the preceding part of the decade. Because if you're using total winning percentage, and yeah, sure, but a lot of that was done. You know, it's kind of like for Pop and RC having Tim Duncan for the decade, like that happened previously. So I don't give credit for that. Yeah, uh, Jimmy but, Butler though, I 100 percent do. Yeah, that one. I mean, they made some the, the Carlos Boozer signing. Ultimately, he ended up having to be amnestied, but it, he got them to uh, be yeah. a contender. The hiring Thibodeau was a great hire at the time well and also but, like they had bad picks but they were all late you know like marquise teague and and i'm not high on denzel valentine but they were it wasn't like they blew a top 10 pick or anything like that that i can recall yeah well at least not in the early t- part of the day yeah uh okay so so okay who else you got here vlade yeah he's my number one so vlade is my vlade is my number two um and i mean so he you have a couple different real centerpieces here one of them is Started not starting out, but early on the Rondo trade. Well, that's what I refer to it as. But that was in 2015 when they were all midway through July 1st. The Kings trade the 2019 first and a 2017 pick swap that ended up being number five for number three to or number three for number five from their perspective to clear cap space when nobody was on the board. They ended up signing Rondo as the the biggest ad there. Yeah. Rondo, Kufos, and Marco Bellinelli. Yeah, that's just brutal. It's, yeah, it just maybe if not the most damaging trade of the decade oh i actually have a pick for that from somebody who doesn't get this can i mention that as an honorable mention thing okay to me the worst trade of the decade from that perspective is actually one that is credited to neil shea which is the baron davis salary dump giving up an unprotected first round pick that became kyrie irving like right before there was going to be an right before everybody knew there was going to be an amnesty clause i'd already written a piece about like who's going to be amnestied and they trade this bad contract i mean i'm sure sterling was a part of that so i don't put that all at O'Shea's feet but to me that trade like you gave up the uh, the number one pick in the draft for nothing to like basically to save him some so i guess to save to save sterling some money but not 
not even to create any cap space for the team as it turned out. God, I hate that trade. I was so angry. I, you weren't writing that, I don't think. Oh my God. No, no. This was that was like two, three years before I started. Yeah. Um, okay, but let's go through some more Vlade stuff because this is fun. Oh yeah. Um. So the 2016 and 2017 off seasons. I mean, 17 in particular, signing Zebo and George Hill were just. It didn't make any sense for where the team was. Um, I was interested in how you think about now, knowing what we know now, the 2017 draft night trade. So they traded 10 for 15, I think it was 15 and 20. And normally speaking, moving down, just like it was in the Nurkic McDermott trade I talked about before, generally moving down is the right place. But A, the guys they drafted weren't that good. And B, with Donovan Mitchell on the board in particular. But also, I mean, Zach Collins is better than the guys they drafted. Like that, I think that didn't work yeah. out too well, but it's more, def- it's more in the defensible, but didn't turn out than like, like yeah. terrible like the I, other stuff i see that one as pretty neutral frankly yeah. and then um, but but the one that's unforgivable is passing on luca yeah driving marvin bagley over over luca yeah that's that that was my other headliner well because even like ayton there were sane people i'm not among them who actually had ayton above luca or at least in the same area as him nobody had marvin bagley at that type of a level other than the kings apparently and bagley might turn out to be a serviceable player we'll see but i mean luca Doncic might be the best player of the next decade if you had to pick who's most likely to be mvp of the 2020s probably gonna be luca uh, as we look at it right now or someone who hasn't been drafted yet but uh yeah that's uh that's the one that takes it for me uh, and uh, there's just really nothing good. And maybe the Cousins trade was okay in retrospect. We hated it at the time, but Buddy Heald has turned out to be a pretty solid player. Uh, the trade for Bogdanovich, that was a pretty good move. Uh, so there are a couple of things. It's gotten better, but between passing on Luka, the fact that the Kings have the worst record uh winning 36 percent of their games this decade well, and the coaching turmoil that has surrounded them for basically his entire tenure yeah some of that goes oh yeah like george carl like all the like firing mike malone like all that shit yeah yeah that's uh jaeger getting fired after having a a good year the back and forth between him and brandon williams i can't remember a public spat between the coach and executive like that and not even the entire decade not even coming close to a play did they ever finish within even 10 games of a playoff spot this entire decade i think they might have last year uh i think it was third i think it was yes th- they were within nine games yeah. 39 wins and it was 48 yeah, yeah so i mean but no, they were close, ultimately. Yeah. Is what. So, okay, so he's my number one. Who is your number one? Billy King. And this is one you and I have disagreed on since before Dunked On started, because because I've been very low on the KG Pierce trade, and lo- basically the, it's the disagreement that you and I have had, going back to when we were f- friends before this podcast started, was about whether how good the Nets could have been. And my argument was that they weren't really in championship contention, but I'll go through the, the greatest hits for him are some pretty spectacular stuff. So the KG Pierce trade I talked about with Danny Ainge, I don't want to r- break through it again. But for me, the other just one of the other classic enraging trades of the decade was was the Gerald Wallace Damian Lillard trade. So for those who, oh, yeah. who don't remember this, the six pick Mehmet Kerr and Sean Williams for Gerald Wallace right before he became a free agent. So they did get his bird rights, but he ended up then squeezing them for a ton of money. They thought it was a five player draft. Number six was Damian Lillard. That could have worked out. No, I think out. it was a three player. Oh, three player draft, draft something yeah, like it was that. Yeah, top three protected. That was yeah. The- 
and so they gave that up. Um, another one that it, it, this I, th- I remember us disagreeing on it was the Darren Williams trade. So that was Favors, Derek Favors, Devin Harris, Derek Favors. Shortly after he'd been drafted, I think it was February of that year um, of that yeah, season, twenty ten. Yeah, yeah. Favors, Devin Harris, first round picks in twenty eleven and thirteen. The twenty eleven pick ended up being third overall for Darren Williams. That worked out. You know, this is another one of those like I think it was it was done with the best of intentions. It didn't work out as well as they hoped. And then the Joe Johnson trade was another like as I recall it, I didn't do a ton of digging on that, but it was one he was one of the that was still a rough contract, but they gave up a first round pick to get him. Which yeah, and I think it was a, they gave up a swap to Atlanta as well. I believe so. And then also, even though they didn't get the worst of the Jason Kidd years, Billy King hired Jason Kidd to be his basketball coach. That ended up not being a great talent evaluation. Let's put it that way. And also, Billy King signed Andre Bargnani in 2015 and just signing Andre Bargnani in 2015 as a demerit. Um, there were well, some plus- so, so a little bit of pushback on, on him. Yeah, definitely was a, a tough start. Uh, he was under a mandate to be good right away when, with them moving into Barclays Center. I mean, remember the climate un, under Prokhorov. I did think that that team, people thought at the time of that trade that it, they could potentially be a championship contender, that it was they weren't going to be one of the worst teams in basketball. Darren Williams immediately fell off a cliff as soon as they traded for all those guys. He was supposed to be their best player. That, that kind of came out of nowhere. Couldn't have been anticipated. And then the other thing to remember too is they got off of the aforementioned Wallace yes who they did acquire in a terrible trade but and give a terrible contract to but that was part of it they had three years and 30 million left on his contract I mean that's basically like three years and 60 million left on your contract today and because the cap's about double what it was back then and so that was part of giving up those picks was part of getting off of his contract in addition to getting the guys that they got Pierce and Garnett so um he's got to be up there I'd have him as my number three my number two is Ryan McDonough yeah, McDonough for me just didn't have it, didn't have the job for long enough. But I, I, I'm interested in well, your argument. Started in, uh, let's see, when did he get it? 2013 off season and was fired at the beginning of the 18-19 season. So he also has the stain, granted it probably was the owner, but he also has the stain of passing on Doncic. Just absolutely zero direction for much of his tenure. I can't, you know, Billy King's probably got to be ahead of him though, because he, he did, he at least drafted Devin Booker. They had that first season where he was able to trade for Eric Bledsoe. I thought he did a pretty decent job in the Dragic trade as well, and they had, had to trade him away. Certainly some very lean years and some very ugly transactions, but he also has the Sarver Albatross to deal with. Uh, and, and also, I mean, just in terms of like a general intelligence level, you can tell he's just like a smarter basketball mind than Vladdy Divac's or Billy King for that matter. So I would have him third, King second, and uh, Vlade is my number one. Well, and, and that's the other, there's the, the jokes about how they had those three point guards at the same time and then ended up with none of them, but at least they got value for one of them. You know, for, for Dragic getting those two first round picks from Miami, they sold low on Isaiah, obviously, and then Bledsoe, it went to a head and then everything else that happened. But yeah, I, I have McDonough, like for me, it was, there wasn't enough bad there, especially because they acquired Bledsoe and I, I liked that deal from their perspective. Yeah, I just didn't have him in that in that same category, and I, I just think we should give a special praise to 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 uh, David Kahn because if David Kahn had had his job longer, he would have been like he would have been in this category. It's just that he got fired because he was so damn bad at his job. <laughs> like even even Glenn Taylor, one of the worst owners in the NBA, just couldn't have it anymore. Well, all right, this is crazy. We've been recording for uh, about fifty minutes here now. 
and we just finished executive of the year i've i should have realized that especially this particular topic would take us a while so let's do some news and we probably we got all the research done for some of these other ones we promise we'll get get those to you over the next couple of weeks or so so let's hit it here what do we got uh as far as news i know it can't possibly compete with uh discussing the worst executives of the decade but no i mean there is nothing that is more our wheelhouse than the 50 minutes that we just did um (laughs) It's basically how this show was started, to be completely honest. Um, I, I, the way I want to start is, is is in Brooklyn. It's not the sexiest piece of news, but Kyrie Irving has already missed eight games, still is not taking contact. And I mean, th- it's just so weird because we've heard so little and now it seems like it's pretty serious. Yeah, he did a little bit more at practice, but yeah, it doesn't sound like his return is imminent in the next week or so. But Spencer Dinwiddie is going crazy. They're well over 500 since... Kyrie went out you would have thought they could be in big trouble but instead they probably this stretch will probably look back on it as when they solidified a playoff spot not solidifying a playoff spot are the Atlanta Hawks who have lost 10 straight games they've been doing it without Kevin Herter and they've had just some I mean granted against good teams on the road but just embarrassing embarrassing losses to the Clippers and the Lakers and Houston when James Harden had 60 points yeah. in 20 no, no, because we're not gonna do a whole thing on it regulation 158 111 like, I saw it it was just dumbfounded they had a buck didn't they have a buck 37 after the third quarter? I think they did yeah yeah Houston oh it, that game was that's why I didn't I, I it kind of struck me when it finished out was I saw it at three quarters and it was crazy and I was like oh yeah like it's just insane I thought their defense could be atrocious this year. And remember at the start of the year, they actually looked like they were pretty good. But then you looked at their opponent three-point percentage, it was like 26% over those first, I think they're, what, they're like four and two or four and three right at the start of the year. And then it just has all gone completely downhill at this point. Yeah, too bad. I, I guess uh, DeAndre Hunter moving up for number four was going to fix their defense after all. Um, but anyway, Kevin Herter could return as early as this week uh, from that shoulder injury that he had and Kem Reddish has been in and out of the lineup with the, this wrist injury he didn't play in that Houston game so we can't put that one on him overall NBA news uh, Kevin O'Connor the ringer reported that the in-season tournament could count extra in the regular season standings that that might be a way to get people to care about it a little bit you are also potentially devaluing the regular season that's part of the my thought here Hollinger and I talked about it last week a little bit but if you don't also reduce the length of the season yeah this might make people more interested in thanks around thanksgiving but it will also just devalue the regular season even further unless you then reduce the number of games but our hope is that maybe this could be a prelude for that in the next cba we actually have some maybe not all returns but getting closer to return news victor oladipo went through a full scrimmage on thursday so he's getting closer to coming back for the pacers which is exceedingly exciting and edmund sumner who's been out for a while he is cleared but he's going to go down the g league i think he still needs a little bit more time yes sumner dealing with a hand rodney magruder reducing the clippers army on the wing a little bit he's missed two straight now with the hamstring strain might be a while for for him uh, just reading the tea leaves there i don't know that for sure uh for the lakers avery bradley he's gonna miss at least the next four games probably a little bit more uh, with that fracture in his leg he has been cleared to begin some basketball activities and alex russo has been in and out of the lineup uh, with a sore calf Uh, again when they're in and out of the lineup with these chronic injuries uh, that's never a, a great sign to me another thing that isn't a great sign is another injury that appears related to having the camera people too damn close to the court 
John Morant fell backwards into a camera against Indiana and is now week to week. This is so unbelievably frustrating to me. There are so the, the gains are so minimal and the potential risk is so high. Not only when you have people there, but when they have this heavy equipment that can easily cause injury with players flying by. Dude, but it was so awesome watching him just fall right into the camera. What are you talking about? Kyle Anderson uh, has been in and out of the lineup with uh, right heel sword at Memphis. Another interesting return is in Minnesota. While he has been out, Shabazz Napier went from being the second, kind of the second string point guard to the third string point guard because now they're starting Culver, something we will talk about in a future dunked on. And Napier did play nine minutes in their game on Sunday. So we kind of wondered how it was going to fit in. They lost to Memphis by by eight at home. and But he is still in the rotation, even though Jeff Teague is also in the rotation. Yeah, and Jake Lehman uh, has missed a couple of weeks now with the toe issue. Minnesota always starved for shooting on the wings, uh, although they have been getting uh, some defense from some of those spots. In New Orleans, Derek Favors sounded like he was ready to come back, finally, after having missed time with the sore knee and with the lower back issue. But now uh, a personal issue for him with with the death of his mother so unclear exactly when he's going to be back and of course new orleans desperately needs him to have any chance of defending and kendrick williams hurt his ankle on friday looks like he's going to miss a while it seemed like it was a pretty severe sprain he's not playing today in oklahoma city hamadou diallo is out four to six weeks with a hyper extended elbow i've been a fan of his generally speaking so sucks to not have him in the rotation uh the knicks have been dealing with a little bit of ping pong because while Alfred payton is still out and was out with the hamstring issue Hamstrings are tricky. Yet another reminder. Kevin Knox has been out of the rotation and then replaced Marcus Morris when he was dealing with a neck issue. Yeah, Morris did not play due to cervical neck spasms today against Boston. Orlando, a couple interesting things there. We could start with the fact that Timofey Mozgov, you'll recall that he was stretched so that Orlando could fit under the luxury tax this year. Well, now that stretch is going to get removed. They, I think we're confident that they could get him removed. He is signed in Europe, but I don't believe he has played this year. So he's going to get a long-term injury exclusion takes about six million off their books this year and the next three could give them a little bit more maneuverability below the tax to make some in-season moves so far this year uh michael carter williams not a great fit with markel fultz but he's missed five straight with hip irritation remember he's had all kinds of hip problems and aaron gordon did come back over the weekend uh, from that ankle issue remember that pooch is still out he's dealing with not only an ankle sprain but a bone bruise and that uh, potentially is what's causing him a little bit more uh, of an issue doesn't sound like his return is remotely imminent here Josh Richardson has also missed two straight with a hamstring issue. Not the first time that he's dealt with that. That's even more concerning than hamstring issues normally are for us. Trevor Reza should be back in Monday's game and set for Sacramento. We wonder what his place is even going to be in the rotation now that the Kings yeah, have been playing. Ho- hopefully out of it, I mean, given how they've looked without it. Agreed. And we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on LaMarcus Aldridge. He missed their the Spurs game against the Pistons due to right thigh soreness. This doesn't, to me, it doesn't sound like it's going to be something bigger, but every once in a while you have one of these that you want to put a pin in because it becomes something else uh yeah and we might be might be about time to put a pin in san antonio season they are losing 121 to 93 late in the fourth quarter in detroit uh as we record this phoenix Aaron Baines uh, has finally returned. He picked up right where he left off with 17 points against Dallas, uh, although they did fall against Luka Doncic. And Ty Jerome finished up a rehab assignment in the G League. He's actually probable for their game against Charlotte on Monday. That backup point guard situation in Phoenix has been a little bit in flux, but he's probably the highest ceiling guy of that group. So they'll probably want to take a look at him.
him relatively closely Toronto Serge Ibaka is returning today against Utah Kyle Lowry was close with that broken thumb but did not play against the Jazz should be back relatively soon and we never mentioned this Stanley Johnson has been out for two weeks with a stress reaction in his groin per Roto World that doesn't sound particularly pleasant no but he was not in Toronto's rotation before that Washington CJ Miles is going to visit a specialist on Monday he injured his left wrist and may require season-ending surgery that of course is his shooting hand and Mo Wagner is not going to play tonight in the game that I'm about to go to against the the Clippers uh, unclear how long of an absence that might be for him uh, I'll, uh, I'll, but he, he sorry yeah. go ahead no we're gonna say I was just gonna go through some other teams uh yeah that's fine a couple of quick hitters uh Chandler Hutchison is going to be reevaluated this week after a right shoulder contusion Seth Curry uh missed two games due to illness and Tim Hardaway Jr. started it in his place Daniel yeah oh that, that was actually from like last week yeah <laughs> uh yeah it, he's, it he's did happen it now. still did happen though since the last time we did news <laughs> <laughs> so I'm counting it. Um, Daniel House is back after dealing with uh, a left shoulder issue. Derek Jones Jr. is back. Um, yeah, c- coming off a groin. It- interesting to see how much uh, he ends up playing. Uh, today against Brooklyn, he played zero minutes. But uh, maybe he'll get back in the rotation. And then in Milwaukee, Sterling Braun is a sprained right AC joint. He's missed two straight. Dante DiVincenzo has been getting a lot of time lately for the Bucks. Chris Middleton is actually back uh, with that thigh contusion. Back earlier than expected, he came off the bench in their complete destruction of Charlotte over the weekend. A game that Brooke Lopez missed with back soreness. His brother started. And uh, not nah, they didn't need him. As it turned out, Giannis had 26 points in 19 minutes in that game. Charlotte was uh, not competitive. All right, anything to talk about before we go here? Uh, no, hope everybody enjoyed their Thanksgiving break. And we're going to, oh, and the NBA cast. That's what we should talk about. Yeah, tomorrow on, uh, or probably today as you listen to this, four o'clock Pacific, seven Eastern, special Monday edition of the NBA cast, Utah and Philly. That'll be a, a fun one. That is, uh, actually looked like the best game this week. So even though it's a Monday and it's on NBA TV, we're going to do that. And uh, we'll have a gamer for you probably tomorrow, at least on that game. And uh, some as yet to be determined content aside from that. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to y'all tomorrow. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.